This week on Priority One, we have a special guest. Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, stops by to talk about the newest Discovery missions featuring Rekha Sharma and Jason Isaacs, plus what he took away from the CBS Global Premiere Summit. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Gameprint.net. We thank them and our patrons for their support. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 414 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, May 21st, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, May 24th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna. We've got another big show this week. Why don't you tell us what we've got coming up? Well, this week we're trekking out some new information about the Jean-Luc Picard series, and it is the title. But we also get a look at Picard's upfront clip and onset photos. Then Discovery sings Sir Patrick Stewart's praises, and a giant enterprise sells in Canada. In our Star Trek gaming segment, Star Trek Online lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera stops by to talk about the newest Discovery missions featuring Rekha Sharma and Jason Isaacs, and what he took away from the CBS Global Partner Summit. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please, reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast we're on twitter and instagram at priority one pod you can even send us an email via incoming at priority one podcast.com keeping a conversation with you between our episodes is something that we certainly value captains and we also value our patrons a big shout out to lawrence todd who is a new patron and has just recently joined us in the private hangouts chat that we have exclusive to our patrons at the five dollar a month tier but captains we understand that a financial contribution may not be possible but there are other ways that you can help support the show we're looking for volunteers to join the production for instance Specifically, we're looking for audio editors. We need help cleaning up a segment or two each week. And we currently have a fantastic team working hard each week, but many hands make light work. So shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com with audio editor in the subject line. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. That's it. No longer. Do we have to guess what the new title of the new Star Trek Picard series is going to be? Because it's titled Star Trek Picard. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the announcement was made via Twitter by at Star Trek CBS on May 15th. 
The tweet, an animated GIF, that's right, I said it, GIF, had the newly announced title in familiar Star Trek font, with the A in Picard replaced by a Starfleet Delta. Along with the GIF, the tweet said, quote, make it so, Star Trek Picard is coming to CBS All Access, end quote. Now, they do seem to be trying to start a hashtag trend, and that is hashtag Star Trek Picard. For a link to the tweet, check out the show notes. More importantly, visit us on our social media channels because we started a little tweet chain of our own titled Star Trek Picard series, wrong titles only. <laughs> and later on in feedback, we'll dive in a few of those responses and they did not disappoint. Yeah, question, how, how long did it take somebody to come up with the title Star Trek Picard, which is basically what people have been referring to it as since they announced it. Do you think somebody at CBS just finally went, you know what, it's fine, whatever. <laughs> Yes, I do think that that's exactly what happened. But more so, I kept once it was announced, we kept hearing conflicting things that this is just the working title, working title. But no, it, no it's, it's not. It's, it's official. <laughs> it is Star Trek Picard. And, you know, again, this is just one of those moments where they, they got to stop. They got to stop doing this kind of like drop the ball kind of That's nah, fine. Who cares marketing. what it's called? We, we, we know that I it's going to be all about Picard anyway. I actually think I know I make fun because it took a while to get around to it, but it's a perfect title for the series because the series is going to be all about Picard. Sorry for all of the other really talented actors that are going to be in it, but nobody really cares about anybody else. It's going to be a story about Picard. So Star Trek Picard is probably an appropriate title. Yes, but I just feel like we didn't have to wait this long. <laughs> why do we have to wait this long? And why do we have to keep guessing? I think Anthony wants I to say something. <laughs> I actually think that this is CBS not dropping the ball because nothing is worse than them announcing a title and then realizing that they could have named it something better later on. So I'm sure that this was the working title from the beginning and what you know makes sense as the working title and the actual title. But then they went and we even saw some of those trademarks that they did. Star Trek Destiny, Star Trek Reliant, you know, a bunch of other names that they may have thought, well, this could be it or this might be it or does this make sense? Is this what we want people to think of when they think of the show? And then eventually they just came back around to what is the most obvious and, and best choice. So yeah. I would rather they they wait and then tell us what it is than to tell us what it is and then say, oh, no, never mind. We found we figured out a better name. Here's my headcanon, which is a, a spinoff of Kenna's headcanon. We might as well, since Star Trek is doing spinoffs now, <laughs> is that Sir Patrick Stewart is the one that, like, kicked down a door and said, let's just call it Star Trek Picard already. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. <laughs> I love Damn that. It. I think like, I'm going to adopt that headcanon too. That's good. That's what That's what I like. You know, he's British. I'm pretty sure he politely knocked on the door and said, um, excuse me, can we just call it Star Trek Picard? Thank you. Have a nice day. Well, he's not Cockney, but that's okay. BuzzFeed's chief LA correspondent, Kate Arthur, spent May 15th live tweeting this year's CBS Upfronts, a yearly event used by broadcasting companies to court potential advertisers. The New York event attendees were the first to see the Star Trek Picard card title splash that we discussed in our first story, but they were also shown a short clip of the upcoming now-titled series, a clip that Arthur took a photo of and included in her live tweets. 
In the tweeted photo, we see Sir Patrick Stewart in a black jacket and turtleneck, and there is a brief glimpse of a Starfleet uniform behind him. Later in the week, and just as conversation about the photo started cooling off, the full clip was leaked. In it, a young Starfleet ensign asks Picard for his name, to which Picard raises an eyebrow. But... That's not all. On May 16th, the Star Trek subreddit user Gold Robin shared a set photo from the upcoming series. Later linked to the Testout Corporation Twitter page at TestoutCorp, it was found that the feed had two photos of the set, both with Stewart wearing the same black ensemble from the upfront footage. In one photo, he is surrounded by a crowd of people, several sporting Starfleet uniforms. In the other, he appears to be in a conversation with a young woman. Be sure to head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com to check out the show notes for links to the photos and video that I just told you about. I like cannot contain my excitement (laughs) at how awesome these photos were. Just the fact that we see new post-Nemesis Star Trek uniforms makes me giddy inside. You're squeeing right now. I literally, I literally just squeed. (laughs) I squeed so much. You know what's super awesome about these pictures? They were taken literally down the road from my house. So these pictures were taken out in front of the Anaheim Convention Center, which is where WonderCon is held. And it was kind of like, I looked at it first, and I was like, that looks really familiar. And it turns out this uh, test out corporation, the, the people who took the pictures were there for, you know, a work conference. And they, t- they snapped some of these pictures back at the beginning of May. But yeah, if you look closely, you can see the steps of the Anaheim Convention Center back in the background. I also love that the footage looks bright and... Mm-hmm. It looks very similar to what we've come to know as the TNG DS9 Voyager style, you know? And even the bright the the uniforms with the gold on top that we saw, you know, invoking that that brightness of Starfleet and the Federation and that era of Star Trek. And I honestly did not think they were gonna go back to those similar styles of uniforms from TNG and Voyager and DS9. And I'm, I just, I can't contain my excitement. But that brings us to our first community question. What do you think of the Star Trek Picard news, including the title, uniforms, and leaked footage? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO414 or by replying to our social media posts with this community question. Continuing the excitement, Star Trek captain Alex Kurtzman and his crew talk about what makes the Enterprise captain, Picard, such a legend. In a Star Trek YouTube video, Kurtzman said of Picard... Captain Picard, in some ways, he is the ultimate captain, and he's the ultimate captain because of his incredible decency, because of his incredible thoughtfulness, because he was always human fundamentally in the choices that he made, even when the pressure was really, really high. Mary Weissman commented on Sir Patrick's ability, saying, Patrick Stewart is just one of our greatest living actors. It's so cool the coming together of Patrick Stewart's training and like old school Royal Shakespeare Company gravitas and the combination of that and this like sort of mythological franchise that is Star Trek. The coming together of that is so special. Finally, Wilson Cruz spoke of Picard's importance in today's world, saying, In this moment, we are all looking uh, anywhere and everywhere we can for true signs of leadership. And I think Picard is a great um, model for that. For a link to the video, check out the show notes. I thought this was really cool, this whole video of 
the Discovery cast and crew kind of chiming in on what Picard means to them and how excited they are for the Picard series. If you had the opportunity to buy a trailer-sized Constitution Reef at Enterprise A, yes. would you? Yes. Yes. Would you? Yes. <laughs> well, Toronto Area Public Relations CEO Bill Dorn would, and he did. But I suppose some context is necessary. On May 11th, in the subreddit Funny Reddit, user Awoken Games posted a photo of the trailer-sized starship with the title "Things You See Walking Around the Neighborhood." It didn't take long before it hit Twitter, where it spread like tribbles. The seller, who wished to remain anonymous, confirmed that he was a contractor who once worked in the Richmond Hill Silver City Cineplex. He towed home the decommissioned ship for free, telling Toronto Life, quote, I just didn't want to throw it in the trash, that's all. I had it on my trailer for a while there, but I needed the trailer, so I put the ship on my lawn, end quote. On May 12th, the Enterprise A was purchased by the aforementioned Bill Dorn for $600. Dorn tweeted about his new treasure with photos and told Toronto Life, quote, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. I'd like it to be accessible for people to see it and get close to it, end quote. So 600 Canadian is about 1,000 Quatloos, right? <laughs> Dude, this guy got an absolute bargain. Apparently, like, after it sold... I think in that same article, the Toronto Life article, they said that they had an offer of $35,000 from a buyer in New York City. So who knows how legit that wow, was, but yeah that, yeah, that guy got away with a really, really great deal. Well, we're all a little bit jealous of Bill Dorn and his $600 purchase. Not to be mistaken by Michael Dorn, because we know that he would put his money towards a new airplane. Well, moving on from other Trek news, we have some news right here within the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Kenna. You have an announcement to make. That's right, I do. So starting now, I am starting a new podcast called Daily Star Trek News. And it's a short form daily podcast with just tidbits of information that you would want to know about Star Trek related stuff. And you can find that it's live in iTunes and Google Play right now. Well, that's really exciting, Kenna. That's fantastic news. But that means that there's a big change coming here at Priority One Podcast, mm -hmm. isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So I'm going to be leaving Priority One podcast at the end of May. And I'm really, really sad to be leaving everybody. But I'm like moving down the hallway. I'm still going to be part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Elijah, you will never be able to get rid of me. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's we're sort of going to be complimentary podcasts. So I'll be doing a short form daily thing. And you guys are going to be doing the big weekly magazine style and hopefully work in synergies together. Well, Kenna, we will certainly miss you. But as I said to you privately, there's nothing more important to me than for each and every one of us to pursue the creative endeavors that foster that creative energy. And really, you know, I'm really happy for you. And of course you will be missed. So when will your last episode be? So the last episode is going to hit the Priority One feed on May 31st. And I actually just, I want to take the, a quick opportunity to thank you personally, Elijah, and also you, Anthony. You know, I've been on Priority One for four years, and I knew nothing about podcasting before I started. Elijah got in touch with me, and I kind of took that and ran with it. And Elijah, you taught me everything I know. So the last four years have been a total, total trip. And if I could do both together, I would, but I can't. So I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm moving my cot down the hallway and I will be hopefully a, a, 
a guest host or something if you'll have me. But yeah, it's uh, I've really uh, enjoyed the last several years. Well, that's the important thing about this, Captains, is that you know Kenna is not leaving anywhere far. Like she says, she's moving down the hall in the in the the grander scheme of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, and you know, like some of our other hosts that have moved on to other endeavors, <coughs> Tony Hunter. <laughs> Kenna, you are always welcome to come back to the show. This is in no way a goodbye, but just to see you later. See you in a little while, you know, the next time you're sick. (laughs) The next time I'm sick, exactly, exactly. And of course, the last four years of having you on board has been an absolute pleasure. You've been my right hand for all of this time. And, you know, I'm honored that you would say, you know, that I taught you about podcasting, but I think there came a time where we were both learning at the same time. We, we got to be supporting each other in so many ways. So thank you for all the hard work that you've done on Priority One Podcast. You will be missed from week to week, of course. But again, it's not goodbye. And if I can, I'd just like to take a second to kind of plug where everyone can find me in my new home. The website is dailystartreknews.com. You can also find the show on iTunes, Google Play, or if you just do a normal RSS feed, you can find that on the website. The show name is Daily Star Trek News. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Daily Trek News. So come over, say hi. It would be great to see some familiar faces over there too. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. Now, we welcome back Star Trek Online lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, to talk about the latest missions released in the game. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, Priority One and Mixed Dimensions have teamed up once again to save you 20% off of any ship at any size, completely customizable by you within Star Trek Online. Now, Captains, if you're like me, despite the hundreds of ships in the Star Trek Online universe, there's really only ever one or two that I fly in the game, right? I've said this time and again. I'll usually switch between my advanced fleet escort if I'm feeling a little more nimble, maybe switch over to the fleet arbiter if I don't want to worry about exploding. So when I pulled the trigger to purchase a ship, I decided to try to find something unique, something that I couldn't easily find somewhere else. Something that wasn't printed in mass and die cast or whatnot that everybody could display on their desk or at home. I wanted something that was unique to me. So I went ahead, pulled the trigger and purchased my fleet advanced escort. And if you've watched my unboxing video, you'll know my complete honest opinion that I am impressed with the 3D quality print that Mixed Dimensions does with their Star Trek online ships. Best of all, again, it's personalized for me. But you don't need to play Star Trek Online in order to print a unique starship. Whether it's Romulan, Andorian, Vulcan, or Klingon, whatever, you can explore an immense library of ships that players have already uploaded to Gameprint.net. Best of all, you can rename that ship to whatever you want, with whatever registry you want as well. With options starting at just $19.99 for a 4-inch color print and the reintroduction of their hand-painted models, there is no reason why you shouldn't add a unique starship to your collection, customized just for you. Now, the hand-painted models, uh, let's be frank, are a little expensive, but think about it. You're going to be saving 20% off of those hand-printed models. And also, to be honest, you get the best quality at anything above 7 inches. 
but don't let that stop you because like Kenna already said, prints start at just $19.99, so maybe just experiment. Anthony had one of his ships printed in small scale uh, and he was also impressed. Now, remember, you can save 20% by using code PRIORITY20 at checkout. That's PRIORITY20 to save 20% off any customizable ship. Also, take advantage of their newly designed website and browse through the entire library of ships that gamers like yourselves and Star Trek fans like yourself have already uploaded. Remember, that's GamePrint.net and promo code PRIORITY20. Start building your fleet now. Captains, this episode we are thrilled to have with us Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thank you so very much for stopping by to chat with us. Oh, thank you. What an enthusiastic intro. Thank you very much. I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to have you, Al. <laughs> so, Al, you just released two brand new episodes in the Discovery era featuring Jason Isaacs and Rekha Sharma. And let me start off by saying that this is probably one of the best animated episodes that your team has been able to pull out. So con congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, the team is getting really, really good at these animated, at the cutscenes, the animated scenes, uh, and delivering a story. We started a new process when we when Weston joined us, and he really, you know, he changed uh, he changed a lot of our developments as far as like the quality that he brought and his capabilities. And then Scott, our um, environment lead, is actually has a has a background in film. And he'd always, you know, wanted to be more and more involved. And so I think that that combination right there just really changed everything. So he did a lot, does a lot of camera direction. He does this, you know, he does the storyboards and camera directions. And between him and him and Weston, they put together some really powerful stuff. Of course, not to mention uh, writer Paul and that group just puts together really good stories. And, and, and FYI, it is Reka, not Reka. So fair enough, right. fair enough. Well, okay. my apologies for Reka. <laughs> okay, so I, I'll say this. It took me a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things because it's been a few months since we had uh, a Discovery era mission. So for those players that perhaps may not have yet played the mission or are experiencing this journey, where are we in terms of the Discovery story arc? Well, there are effectively two Discovery story arcs. There's the Age of Discovery, which starts either if you are a brand new Discovery player um, you will start in the Age of Discovery in 2256 and play through that up until um, the uh, Starbase One episode, and which will then bring you forward to the future. You can also just play uh, the Age of Discovery arc as any other character in the game as a historical simulation. The pretense being that Ja'ulag, who is the sister of Takuvma, who has this very dangerous mycelium-based weapon, is in the future, in 2410, and, and a real danger to uh, the fabric of time and space. That's what Daniel teaches you when he brings you forward. So you are there trying to understand what Klingons were like and what Jula was like from the past. And so, although we've only just touched on the Jula arc, which is the, the second part of the arc, uh, we're, we're coming to an end on the Age of Discovery soon. So if you play as a Discovery character, you would play the Age of Discovery, we may get uh, uh, one or two more episodes into there and finish that off. And then the second arc, which technically starts with Captain Killy of the uh, Terran Empire. And in, uh, in it's right now, it's, it's called the Mirror Discovery Arc. We'll probably rename that arc because it won't just be a Mirror Discovery Arc. It'll be a, like a Future of Discovery Arc to be named later, which will then have a much uh, the, the modern story results of Ja'ula 
coming to the future. And uh, as a matter of fact, last week we just kind of put a nice bow on what that arc is and what the future of Star Trek Online stories are for about the next year and a half. So we have uh, did a lot of planning on that, really happy about what we've got there and who we want to bring in, hopefully, you know, actors to come in and, uh, and participate in that story arc. So when all is said and done, you'll have a you'll have an Age of Discovery arc, which is the first arc if you're a Discovery character. It's a later arc if you're anybody else, and then the second arc, which will be named later, which will pick up, which start with with Killian and with what are the results of Jaula being here in the future. And we're building it very differently. We're building we're, we're building it instead of all at once. We're building it little at a time. Uh, I think it's more interesting if you start a new character and just kind of play through the story arcs that are there, and, and you can see how the story unfolds in the order that it's meant to be played. So the uh, the the two Rise of Discovery episodes happen right after the tutorial. So if you're starting a new character, the Baran episodes take place about just about a month after the Battle of Binary Stars, and shortly after you're graduating from the academy. Um, that's because we know that uh, Landry and Lorca are not quite on the discovery yet until until after that arc. So uh, speaking of the method in which you're rolling out this expansion over time, as you've called it, I can tell you that from a player standpoint, it's, it is a little bit frustrating with the disjointed order in which the stories are coming out. What are your feelings on that? And are you... Are you seeing that from other players? And and how has it been internally as far as how this has been rolled out? And do you feel internally it's successful and enough to do it again in the future? What do we do it again in the future? We do with what we have to do. Uh, so, um, you know, when we when we finished uh, Victory is Life, we were had this opportunity to do a to, to hook into Discovery, and we did not have the means to just start another expansion. We didn't have the capabilities. We would have had no releases for for months because it takes takes almost a year to make an expansion. So we've uh, kind of split it up. I would say basically, if we had done a Discovery expansion, we probably would would ha- this is what you would have gotten. Is, is something about this size. So I think this is several pieces of content for, for low-end players and then a pair of episodes at, uh, for 2410, which would be the Mirror of Discovery episodes. And then we can continue that story from there because most of the story at this point going forward, pretty much uh, all the storytelling will take place linearly from starting from Mirror of Discovery. We may make some uh, 2256 one-off stories that we really want to tell. But they're they're really more one-offs at this point, so um, they wouldn't have as much to do with the arc. So this is the start of the arc at this point, and then over the next year or so, we'll we'll see how it goes. As far as how it's done for us, um, Discovery is really successful for us. It's really brought in a lot of new players. It's brought it's brought in a lot of return players. In some ways, Discovery has broken records, even of Victory's Life, which was already breaking records. So it's been kind of nuts. You can't underestimate the synergy of having a live TV show. It's just, it's just different. The interest in the ships, the interest in the characters, the press that gets picked up from it, and this, and which in turn just means more return players and more new players, has been uh, extremely successful. I'm, I'm really excited about it because we're just getting started, and now we've got more shows to, to hook into. We, we're just basically one season in of Discovery, so we've got a whole other season of Discovery to start really uh, playing with, plus the Picard show, plus two animated shows, plus a Section 31 show, and who knows what else uh, they might make. So we were getting to a dry spell, so what other stories are we going to do? Because we were running out. I had, I had like one more arc I wanted to get into, but I was really kind of running out of ideas. Now we just have too many ideas. 
ideas. So it's like there's too much that we want to do at this point. We have this arc that I just don't, you know, mentioned that we've played out, that we that we planned out, and we gotta we gotta wrap it up because we gotta we gotta hook into the Picard show and Discovery season three, and so um, so there's a there's a there's a lot of great stories to tell. So that that brings me to to a question regarding the relationship you have with what's going on on screen. You know, we just wrapped up season two of Discovery and what we understand and what we've been teased is that we're looking into the future way beyond what's been on screen and what uh, Star Trek Online has done. Question one is, how does that influence the story regarding Discovery or is this now wrapped up? Number two, you told the story in this mission about essentially how Mirror Lorca comes on over, starts to infiltrate the Federation and, and infiltrate onto Discovery. What was the collaborative relationship like to tell that Lorca story? To be honest, it's more of a Landry story than a Lorca story. It always was meant to be. It's the story of Rise of Discovery is is really Landry's origin. And although Mira Lorca's origin kind of happens, it's not the focus of the story. It was never really meant to be. And the, although I can I can specifically say when, when the switch happens, if you're not a discovery viewer you won't even notice it and that's okay if you're not really paying attention to the subtle things as far as like the ion storm and the change in his behavior and the mention of the injury of his eyes his origin specifically left left vague because well we don't want the player to be stupid as to why they didn't notice or why landry didn't notice no, no one's supposed to notice unless you're a fan um, and so the audience kind of knows, and we wink at the audience of what's happening. But really, this is always meant to be a story of Landry because... Well, I don't mean to I take think, away from um, that. I don't, I don't mean to take away that yeah. it's it's not about Landry in any way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. More the question is, these are stories about Land about Landry, about mm -hmm. Markup, and, yeah. and involving moments before we see them on screen, essentially. Right. Uh -huh. So what? it's more to that question and about that collaborative relationship with CBS and the writers, how much did you have to collaborate to tell this story? Um, so uh, we meet with uh, John Van Sitters. We have met twice now with Alex Kurtzman and twice with Kirsten Beyer. Not fairly recently, but over the last couple of years. Plus um, a few other people. Mike Johnson, who works with IDW Comics, works really closely with Kirsten Beyer. We uh, write our stories out. We then send the story pitches out to CBS for approval. And early on, they were a little more picky about, okay, no, we don't know, because we, we, we were just kind of kind of feeling out the relationship about what we can have and what they knew. And I mean, to, you know, to be honest, just like any other storytellers, I mean, they have an arc, what they know they want to tell, but they don't have all the details worked out any more than, you know, than we do. So sometimes they're like, well, we don't know what we're going to do with this. And it was like, oh, you can't do that because we're going to do this. And then later on, they actually changed it because so it's just, oh, I guess we could have done that, but whatever, they changed it. Um, and that's totally fine. So we tell them, we give them an arc and, and we, we give them our broad strokes and the characters and, and they give us our feedback. And they've had very little, uh, other than the first, first initial meeting when we were just trying to figure out what we, what we could do and what, where they were going to go. Um, I think that right now they give us the broad strokes of their stories of what and the characters of what's going to happen and so that pretty much informs us as yeah we can't we about what we can and can't do so i think we're pretty careful based on the guidelines they give us like, this is what's going to happen and this is where it's going to have like you know for instance we knew we knew about at the end that discovery was going to go 
into the future, right? Spoilers for end of season two. And so that's an example of like some guidelines. So as we then start pitch stories and ideas and, uh, you know, they tell us this is not true or, you know, this and you can't do this. But for the most part, they're like, yeah, that's that's fine. And then and then we just do that much, uh, much like we have in the past. It's a little tighter than it was before. And we just meet with them a little more often and we let them know what we're doing. Uh, we sent them pretty large docs, PDF docs or just or sometimes just short emails and can we hey you know we're thinking of doing this with this thing and they're like okay yeah that's fine or no we're going to do that so don't do that that kind of thing it's fun we're getting our stride on on how that works i mean for instance they you know we've we've talked a little bit about the card show you know where that fits in and i mean it's way too early for us to really start sinking our teeth into but we have some ideas and uh, we see how it's going to fit into into our world and so we're we're working on that um did Hobus happen? Did Hobus happen? Is Hobus still a thing? <laughs> well, Hobus was a, is a thing in canon. I don't think they're going to rewrite any canon, right? I mean, the Hobus star exploded. We we know that. So that happened in the Prime Universe. Whether it happened the way that that we wrote it in Star Trek Online, you'll just have to wait and see. But um, but I'm not I'm not concerned at all about any about the way their writing will affect us. I think we're going to be just fine. So specifically with these two stories, right? Bringing in Reka and bringing in Jason Isaacs, mm-hmm. um, you know, were they again? This was just you you pitched them this story, and it was more broad stroke, or were they a little apprehensive? For instance, bringing in you know a captain from that that was a he, you know the headliner for season one, sort of thing. Um, they are far more protective of stories that they are currently telling and characters that are currently on the show, right? Like, they are far more protective of the Tilly story than they were of the Killy story, for instance. Um, and far more protective of that than Reka's story, who they're probably done with, right? Maybe somehow they'll miraculously uh, resurrect her. You know, it's science fiction. It can happen, but certainly she they, neither of those were in season two so i remember with with the tilly stories they were far more oh no this is you can't say that there's this thing and i can't remember what it was and because this is not what's going to really happen with her character so um so we made some minor some it was like one one line and i can't remember what it was but uh and we gave them this story wanted to do this origin story wanted to do this tragedy story and about about this character and will take place involved over the destruction of the baran and during the time frame when when Morcus switches and and uh no one said no <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Reka's performance and then later Jason Isaacs. So you had Reka in studio recording mm-hmm. these lines yeah. and man, she gave it a hundred and ten percent. She sure did. She she sure did. She she really uh, knocked her socks off. So how involved was she in the writing, you know, in the storytelling and the in the, the direction of her character, you know, did you, was she able to give input? Um, the key input that she gave is that she wanted to be on site, and she was really, really invested in this story. In this story, she had suggested that she wanted to be in a relationship with a with a woman, and um, and I thought that was a, a something nice that she wanted to do. Um, when we discussed that, that was way back in Vegas when we were in. Uh, uh, Las Vegas when we went to when we went to dinner and we talked about the story arc and we talked about I think it was even I, I think it was in that dinner where we talked about whether or not we should even be in a relationship at all um, to, to hammer down hammer in the the tragedy of it all 
but she wanted to be on site and she probably you know I, I mean no offense to all all the wonderful actors i've had the opportunity to work with but she was so invested in this in this character in the storytelling astra says you know why why do you want to fly in you know we want we we always offer people to fly in and some some of them take us up on it some of them just think it's fun and and just wanted to you know just wanted to see how things were done but she was like she she felt like i can't she said i can't imagine really giving an all giving my performance without actually being there and being getting be able to have back and forth and you know she came in i was able to show her the uh, draft cut scenes ahead of time we went to lunch and we looked at it on the laptop and she would do her performance and she was she was like no i didn't like that let me do it again i'm gonna do it differently and she like did it multiple she just did it multiple times and she was there so late normally i think she probably would have done that in about you know maybe about two two and a half hour session we had to break because there was some scheduled press things uh and then but she she wanted to also meet the team and she was there recording vl to like 8 30 at night and and i had mentioned had mentioned this before that uh we recorded everything linearly so by the time she was getting to the tough scenes at the end um her voice started cracking and she kept wanting to do it over said no that sounds great it was great because she's in this cave and she's been fighting for days in this ice planet and and all these terrible things are happening and her voice cracks and it just sounds really good it just sounds natural it sounds like the stress that of what's getting to her so do we like that and and uh um, she just really wanted to just do a really good catch. She really wanted to understand the story. She really under, wanted to understand what was happening in every situation. There's even little subtle things that's the way she says things because she knew what was happening at the moment as opposed to she wasn't just reading the lines. Um, way, way to go, Al. Exhaust your actors to vocal fatigue. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> well, well <laughs> we always, all the, anytime we ever have screaming or yelling or anything like that, we always save that to the end. But yeah, in this case, it was working out for us. Um, those we were get tough the most scenes. out of our voiceover actors. Yeah. When they're exhausted. <laughs> but they were playing, yeah, so, yes, but they were playing an exhausted character, and so um, it worked. You work with what you got, right? You just, it's for the craft, right? You know. You, you could tell that she really was invested, and I think that really came through in the performance because... I'll, you know, I'll be honest with you. I agree. I, I, I honestly think it's the best performance in the game. I think so too. I really do think that. I mean, we were already invested in the story and in the cutscenes, and and when we watched him, we knew it was it was a very emotional scene, the last scene. And then when she read the lines, if you just when you just hear her, it's in a dead silent booth, and you hear this woman screaming out to her love, "Where are you?" Everybody was crying. It was because it was it was so much more real. It was there was no music. There was no fantasy of late, you know phasers, you know disruptors firing off or explosions. It was just this one person crying in this booth. It was powerful. It was good. So she just turns it on just like that, and she was just great. It was just really really good. So I'm so proud of that of of the work that we did. I'm so proud of her performance. It's uh, I'm so proud of the story. Yeah, and, and it was important to tell that story because you had this character, Landry, on this Starfleet vessel. And why was she such an ass, right? Why was she so mean? This is Starfleet. And I think it was a lot of things that put off one of the things that put off people, new viewers, to discovery. This is why is everyone an ass on this ship? Later we learned it's because Lorca was manipulating everybody. But Landry was so quickly dismissed in the, in the, in the show and says, well, what brought her there? And that was really the motivation for this. And um, and the original concept of this of this story was uh, came from uh, James Kerwin. He introduced me to her, and we talked about what, what kind of story could we tell. And he said, well, what hap- what about what happened on the Baran? She was Lorca's first officer. So that was really the spark of that story. I don't think I want to do too many 
dark tragedies like this in Star Trek Online. I'm sure we'll do a few others, but I'm very proud of what we did. Just make sure if you do to bring Reka back to play yeah. multiple characters. So <laughs> Yeah, she she wants she wants to do more work with us. She's very excited. She enjoyed herself thoroughly and I'm very happy with that because of that. So we'll probably see her again sometime. And uh, what about Mr. Isaacs? Well, Mr. Isaacs recorded in uh, in London, so he was recorded remotely. Um, certainly didn't get an opportunity to get uh, as up close and personal with him. But, you know, Mr. Isaacs is a veteran uh, professional and just plowed through his lines really fast. And just, I mean, he just turns on Lorca immediately. It's really, it's really odd to listen to Jason Isaacs um, because he, all of a sudden he turns on this American cowboy kind of thing and it's jarring because to, to for him because he jumps back and forth when he's talking to you and then all of a sudden he's Lorca again so um it's really bizarre um and yeah so he just turns on Lorca and and uh he didn't really have any emotional lines that he had to play he just had to play you know we had to play he had to play a little bit kinder and gentler as prime Lorca and then as Murrow Lorca he's a little more he's a little more insidious a little more manipulative when he's talking of course when he's hurt there's a little bit of hurt there you know it's like injury when he's talking um did you have an opportunity to share the story with him beforehand? Did he have any input? Was there a back and forth, or did the he just kind of go in the box? No, and- this was this was more business. This went through the agents, and 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 so he got the scripts and some and the cutscenes to review online, um, and then we just discussed it as we were going on. This scene is this scene. So the main. Uh, points were just just trying to find what is the prime Lorca and what is the mirror Lorca. You know, mirror Lorca was just second nature to him because he played it for a whole season, but he had to be um, still the same character, but but a little um, friendlier. Uh, there's there's a friendlier tone and a friendlier uh, uh, undertone in the way he the way he talks when he's talking as uh, as prime Lorca. And then then later when he's talking to you in the cave and he's like, listen, you know, Landry's all right, no, but you're gonna have to do what's what's best here. I'm counting on you. Do what you got to do. The Klingons will, you know, they don't they don't take names and whatever it is that the speech was. So you can tell there's definitely a manipulation in, in what he's saying, and that's what the kind of stuff that we were we were focusing on. Every so often, because uh, he re- he read some game stuff, like he read for the uh, um, Operation Repost. So if you play it, it will it's gonna have his voice in there, and and so some of his English accent or dialect crept through, and we had to re-record them. I had noted this was. Didn't know this was a thing, but our writer picked up on it because he kept calling it Alpha and Omega instead of Alpha and Omega. So it's like, oh, that's it's your your Brit showing. So we had to record some, re-record some of those lines. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Lorca now congratulates you as you level up instead of Tilly. Um, it depends. So every time we get an actor come in, we have we have the actors read those lines, so we can change them out at any time. So every actor who's ever come in has read all those lines for whatever situation we may need. I, I honestly didn't even realize that they had swapped those in because I didn't I haven't played my discovery character since launch um, well I've been playing I've been leveled up so I'm, I'm playing with my end game character like you know so now Jason Isaacs and Lorca is technically well I guess not technically because you could argue that that Spock was a captain on screen but you know, really, a, a captain, like a bridge captain on screen in Star Trek Online. Yeah, I mean, except for if you want to be technical about Spock, he would be our first uh, you know, on-screen captain. That's right. evil captain, but captain nonetheless, right? <laughs> that's uh, that's red for us. So one day we'll one day we'll get them all. Now, were there any specific challenges that you faced when? 
putting together these two these two missions because the last time you were on the show you teased me on the air about not remembering who was on the board and now right. i remember who was on the board so like you know what was the timetable in all these things and and what were the challenges in putting together these missions and animations? There were some challenges. Um, there were some interesting challenges. Uh, uh, it's not it's not terrible to share, I suppose. Um, we had originally wrote this story way back for Landry for Reka, uh, and then partly through we said, hey, you know, this would be a good opportunity if we could, you know, have Jason Isaacs and. Because we, we originally planned, it says, well, I don't remember what we were going to do. We weren't going to do the, you know, the part where you go on the brand and you go and you get the prisoners. That was not part of the original plan. We were never actually going to board that. I think we were going to just have you go to Pyre's World instead at the time. Um, and when you rescue Lorca, he was just going to be in a stasis pod, like, and you would never see his face. So you were just dragging the stasis pod around through the, uh, through the snow and in the cave and protecting that. So he was originally never part of the story, and then we said, "Oh, okay, let's maybe we should just ask, <laughs> right?" And then at first it was yes, and and then they said no, and and then it went and said, "Okay, well, we're not going to do it." And so we go back to the original plan, and then we actually started working on it without him. And at the last minute, we were able to come to an agreement, and we, oh, okay, great, we'll get it. And then we had to rewrite some stuff at the last minute. We already had the previous plan right, so so we had some last minute changes. Uh, this has happened before. Contract negotiations, especially when you get lawyer, their lawyers and our lawyers involved, it just becomes gets kind of messy. So he was not a last minute. He was a last minute ad technically, but he wasn't a last. It wasn't a last minute plan. We had a plan to bring him in, and then we just we couldn't make it work, and then uh, and then we got to work. So so that was so then we were, we were like the stasis pod where he's in is already built. <laughs> we built this this uh, hovering stasis pod, medical stasis pod. Um, so. I don't know what we'll do with that something someday. So how much and how quickly did you have to change the mission? We lost about two weeks work, I would say. Maybe maybe not even that much, but we were working on both episodes simultaneously. So it affected both episodes. You know, you don't, you don't work on linear, different people working on them. So, But it was totally well worth it. We were totally excited about doing it. So it was a, a last minute shift. I mean, we've had other things that have shifted our priorities in the past. That happens all the time. It's just, just, just the nature of the business and you roll with it and you have opportunities. I mean, the fact that we're doing discovery was a shift in general, what we were going to do. And it was a good opportunity to go with. But yeah, that presented a challenge for us. And then we had to sculpt his head um, and find time for that. Uh, which are always expensive to do. It's probably at least three weeks of work for a character artist to sculpt a likeness. Minimal three weeks work, sometimes more. Is there any digital information that you start with with a sculpt? Is there is there a scanning process, or do you just have to go by photographs or images from the episodes? Funny you should ask that. Um, uh, every head that you've seen in the game has been just from the artist's finding pictures on the internet or from the t- or from the shows and just taking snapshots and then building the likeness from there. We've uh, sometimes taken photos of them when if, if they happen to come in and take photos of them to, to get more, more details. Um, but now um, we just learned that they do have 3D scans of the artist for, for Discovery. So, so going forward, we'll be able to work off of 3D scans. Wow. So they'll even look more realistic um, going forward. We actually got a 3D scan and turnarounds of the next actor, 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 actress, actor. Uh, what's the? I think the proper term is just to say actor, right? Yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. So, um, of the next person who we have signed, that I, I will not say who it is, and we've got 3D scans of that person. So it'll be even more amazing. 
So let's shift gears a little bit and uh, talk about some of the other new features uh, that were added to the game this month, these last few weeks. Uh, the new reputation system. You know, there were, there were it, undeniably, there were some groans out there about a new reputation system. Uh, and we've talked about this in the past. You know, how, how are the plans going with respect to the reputation system and any sort of concepts and the, the potential of revamping them somehow. So in regards to your groans that you said last week, you know, it's almost been a year since we've had a reputation in the game. It was the last reputation was, was in June, whenever uh, uh, Victory of Life went live. So the Gamma reputation was the last reputation. So, so as we've said that we've been building an expansion over time, and, and part of the ways that we've been doing this is instead of, um, and you've also mentioned the, the idea of like whether or not we should be as far as releasing a, a TFO out every month or every other month, no, what we were trying that because what we used to do is just hold them all up and release them with a with a season, right? So what what you would have gotten in the past is this season would have come out with the discovery rep, and then it would have had like four TFOs to go with it. But instead of releasing them all at once, which is one way of doing it, we released them one at a time. And now we had, once we had enough of them, then we could release a, a reputation and we'd have all the TFOs to support it ready to go. It's just, it's something we're trying. And to be honest with you, it's working really well when you look at it from the numbers point of view, as far as it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Because without it, we have no content in between except rerunning old content. Now, we're still going to have to rerun old content like Crystalline Entity or uh, Mirror Invasion or, or The Vault or any of those. You know, So we'll still be releasing those uh, as events, but we're also trying to get new events in between there. So as we build the TFOs, we're just releasing them so that way there's something new to play. And that, I think, has worked really well as far as people coming back and people sticking around and playing them, especially now with the new meta progression of earning a ship. Um, that has really given us really good returns as far as people sticking around and playing those. The whole point of that is like if you played a rep, I mean, once you finish it, there was no reason to continue to play. But now you can continue to play and continue to earn progress towards that uh, free ship. So once we've had enough uh, TFO content, we are able to uh, release a reputation and go with it. And, you know, reputation is a place where we can put the new, exciting, best gear than and gear sets in there and they're they're meant to be earned over time as far as revamping we've talked about revamping the reputation system um it got put on a little bit of hold but we actually are with season 18 um, releasing some new technology a new feature that will take us closer to uh, revamping the reputation i I don't want to speak about it too much about what it is but we've already started working on it and that will bring us closer to making i just want to make the system i just want to make reputations Reputation system is just, just to give some people history. We originally launched with the fleet system, and the fleet system needed this idea of these projects. So the leader could slot a project, and then and then the leader could slot the next project that would happen afterwards. Remember, you could queue, you can queue up a second project, and then everyone can donate to that. Once that project is full, it then bakes for a little while, and then once it's done, cha-ching, you get your thing, and then the next project slots in, everyone can start donating to that project again. We took that technology and then made it personal for the reputation system. And if you remember, when it first launched, it actually you actually could queue up the next project, which really makes no sense for a personal reputation. We actually got rid of that, but it's, it's because it was based on the fleet system. And in general... I mean, it worked. It was something we could do. And at that time, we only had, I don't know if we had, if we launched with it with more than one. We obviously had the Omega one. We may have had, maybe that was all that we launched with. I don't recall. But it's a heavy-handed system for what it, for what it does. And then we just kind of just kept 
sticking with it. <laughs> we kept using the same system. Um, and, says, and now it's like, well, you know what? We've got whatever, 14 reps now. We This, this system is too heavy-handed for what it does. It doesn't, it's too bloated. Um, and as far as, hey, you gotta, you got to run a project to get a gear, and you run a project to convert this currency to that currency, and run this, and then they got all these projects, and the projects change based on certain conditions. And we also now have enough reputations because reputations are our, our retention mechanic to make you keep playing for a long time. There's so much reputations there that maybe they don't have to be as time-consuming. They don't have to take as long as they do because with 14 or so that you've got, there's enough retention to play. And a revamp would probably simplify the, simplify it, maybe we rethink some of the times to get there, um, rethink the rewards. There's a lot of bloatedness in the rewards that you get. Originally, it was supposed to be uh, a sink for like EC, but then you get all this gear out of it that most people just trash for EC, so the sink is not even working. And we spent all this time making this really nice gear that a lot of people just throw out. So we want to rethink that so the gear is meaningful and you're not just using it as, a, as a, an EC source. So there's a lot that needs to be re- rethought about the whole system. I'd hoped it'd be out this year, but um, I don't think it's going to happen this year. But it is something that is keenly on my radar to to improve to improve but i don't think you're going to see that many new reps like we're not gonna be cranking them out every season uh, it's it's not what we want to do but i mean one a year seems to be reasonable for now until we can figure out what we're doing with it i think about the you know you talked a little earlier about you know the, the influx of new players with the excitement of, about having and around having new star trek on television do you feel that you know loading up that UI can seem a little overwhelming to a new player? And if so, you know we, we we toss this out. What about just making older reputation you know a universal mark? Something that you know some of the gear in the older reputation may not be used as often. And well, um, I don't doubt for a second. I, I completely agree with you that not just reputation, but a lot of our systems are are overwhelming to a new user. I mean, we certainly don't introduce them to you until you're a level 50 player so it's not it's we don't slam you with it when you first get there but yeah the systems a lot of the systems are are overwhelming for a new player any one of them is not is a little is a little big but together they're they're daunting and that's just kind of the result of a 10 year old mmo i'm always open to suggestions but if you think think about the think about the process that gets that gets you there that that gets a design team there so you have this game and they said well we need a rep you need something for retention so at first we were doing tfos the borg stuff and every time you'd play you'd get a random chance of getting one of the set gears and and that's how it played that's how old school mmos you do do a raid and then all of a sudden there's a random chance if you get the set piece of gear and someone would play it once and get the set piece of gear and woohoo i got it and i'm done and then someone would play it a hundred times and never get anything it's like ah this sucks every time they play they still get nothing it sucked just did and a lot of a lot of mmos still do that so we came with the reputation system says okay what were the odds that we had of you get actually getting the gear let's just say it's going to take whatever 100 plays or i'm just making up numbers before you could earn the gear everyone gets it the same right but giving participation earn gear and that's the that's where reputations came from then we added other systems we added the duty officer system and the crafting system and the admiralty systems you keep adding these different things because if i keep adding reputations it's like oh i got another reputation to, to grind okay how about a new crafting thing? How about a new admiralty thing? How many duty after thing? Duty after things. So you keep adding new things to the game to make it interesting of new things to earn and new things to play until all of a sudden you have too many. <laughs> it's like, I think we have too many new systems. Um, 
And so we need to maybe start calling some back. But these systems exist to, you know, for a reason. You know, players want things to do and want things to earn. So like the Endeavor system was a new system we added where you could, it didn't require you to do anything new. Play existing stuff every day. Oh, this is something that I would normally do and I can earn progress in the Endeavor system. The Endeavor system was meant to be a new system where you could make new progress without requiring you to have to do something different. Um, if you didn't want to use anti, do anti-proton damage, well, I guess I won't earn that endeavor today, and that's fine. But you can if you'd like to. So we're always looking for new ways, new challenges for things for things for people to do, more things for people to play, and for them to come back every day. Finding that balance without making it feel like, a, you know, a grind. I was gonna, you know, as you were talking and talking about all these systems, some of them don't necessarily intertwine. And like you, you mentioned crafting, and then I thought, well. What if we were able to craft, what if some people were able to craft reputa uh, reputation gear, right? It would take a long time, but you'd sink resources into that. So maybe a player doesn't have to play the TFOs over and over, but instead play whatever TFO they want, you know, random, and ultimately build the, the, the end gear from the reputation, and then vice versa somehow. Uh, you know, the Endeavor, perhaps one of the rewards is a, a universal reputation mark that could be applied to any of the reputation projects that you do. Having this, the, the, the latter of what you said is more interesting to me and less risky. So the idea, so that's, so the idea of you and Endeavor and then you get a, maybe a universal mark or something, which we would just let you just choose a bag, a choice of reputation marks, which is what we do for a lot of pieces of content. Do this thing and here's a, you know, go ahead and here's a bag and pick, pitch which, pick what marks you want as opposed to building a universal mark. It's the same thing effectively. But I don't think I'd want to have reputations excuse me, crafting be the way to also earn reputation gear because then you run the risk that players will find the path of least resistance and do the thing, even if it's not fun and they hate it because it's easier and then not do the thing that, that, that you're supposed to do that may even be fun and then be mad at you because the thing is not fun. So they'll always find the path of least resistance and we want you to play, well, I want the systems intertwine and they actually do intertwine because you play the reputation, you get the reputation gear, but you get the upgrades from the from the crafting system to make the, and then you can sell those upgrades and then we have if you don't want to do it you can buy it from another player and then you can make your reputation gear better i never wanted a system where one system produced superior things than the other um, you need both to have the superior product it's not to say that i'm perfectly happy with any of the systems i mean i'm always going to second guess and want to redesign things but i was always proud of what we released and always proud of where they came from but then as the game matures and it starts getting bigger than its own britches we have to rethink and start rebuilding things but inevitably when we build something we're either building something to get players to come back to the game to get new players into the game or to get players to retain and stay in the game once they get there and so everything we release does one of those things in general a story mission usually gets people back into the game because they want to experience that story. And then they'll check out the retention mechanic, which is usually some sort of reputation, or which has been what, what has been mostly even more successful has been the random TFOs. And that's been uh, probably the biz biggest success as far as retention has been that we've released in a long time. I think one of the things that that makes the reputation system so daunting is that they all, like, they don't even unlock until the end, until you're already towards the end of the game, right? And so it's as if you drop all of these new you know, time sinks, 
at once. And I'm wondering if there was ever a conversation or discussion about possibly having some of them unlock sooner, maybe some of the ones that make sense, like the new Romulus reputation, the Omega reputation, or the Dyson reputation, when where you're actually starting to gain marks for those reputations much earlier in the game now because of the mission journal revamp and the new scaling technology and the fact that alt characters can now have access to uh, the start of each uh, mission chain right out of the gate. Well, all those things you mentioned are exactly what we're doing to build to exactly what you're saying is to allow reputations to unlock earlier. I mean, actually, if you start a new character in the journal, it pushes you to go and play a TFO. You get that the first one is one of the Romulan ones. I can't remember which one. So every story arc has a TFO to go play. So you start learning about the TFO system and you are earning marks while you're doing that. And so the whole point of that is to do that. And that's just part of a test. The reason why we're rolling it out slowly is, well, outside of development time, but getting a level 10 player or a level 20 player into a TFO, even though everything scales, those TFOs were designed for endgame players. And so whether or not the dif- it's, it's definitely it's much more difficult to play at a lower level than to play at level 50 or definitely at 65. So it's more of a challenge. And it's fine. It actually plays really well, very happy the way it plays, even though it is more challenging. The reason why it unlocks at level 50 is, is should be obvious, is that you don't need to play a TFO. We, when, when you're making a new character, you have all these hours of story content to keep you busy. The TFOs... If you remember when we released TFOs, we didn't have nearly as many stories as we have now. TFOs were introduced as an endgame system because we wanted something that was repeatable to play. Missions, people play once. For the most part, they play a mission once and they never play it again. Um, they take a long time to develop. And people want, oh, I want more missions, I want more missions. I want to give you more missions. They're far more fun to develop because we love telling stories. But they're one and done. People play them once and they're done. And then they say, what's next? And so TFOs are there to, that is what's next, because they are, they are repeatable. They're more gamey, and you use them to get long-term rewards. So they're introduced later on because there's plenty of fun story to do along the way. And, and, and for a new player, they care about that more in general. An existing player rewriting, rerolling a new player, rerolling a new character, may want to do some TFOs, and that is part of the plan for us to do, is to have that, re- you can start doing TFOs earlier. We just start, you start, if you make a new character, you'll notice that your TFO UI will start filling in one at a time with a TFO that you are able to play in the event until you get to level 50, and then they all unlock. And so we're going to do more of that, but then also unlock the reputation earlier once the reputation system is more user-friendly. The scalable ships were, were introduced. I mean, we, we hemmed and hawed on that for a long time if we even wanted to do it. But the bottom line is we didn't want to miss opportunities or disappoint a player, a new player who comes into the game and says, I want this ship. I want the Enterprise. I want I want the Defiant, and I can't buy it. I want to give you money for it. I can't buy it, and I have to buy these, these other ships that I don't really want. And so we want to give people that fantasy of just being able to just say, I have the ship that I like that I've always envisioned flying and then it, it it levels up with you it's still more powerful than if you um, didn't purchase that ship even though it scales and then the uh, there's some some levelless gear in there that will scale with you to make sure that you have something in that slot when it unlocks we're always tinkering with with those sort of things and trying to find the right balance between you know return players and and new players and existing players who want something to work towards um, what would you like to see that you're not seeing well, I, you know, what we were just talking about with the reputation system, I think, you know, even TFOs aside, you know, once you get to the new Romulus 
Adventure Zone, the Dyson Sphere Adventure Zone. You're earning marks just doing the missions within those areas. And it kind of makes sense in my mind, even story-wise, that you would be building your reputation with those Mm -hmm. organizations and with those governments as you're progressing through that story content. So it's, it's actually exciting for me to hear that that may be a possibility in the future. Uh, it's more than a possibility. It's definitely something we want to do. It's just, it's just, I don't want to give the reputation UI to a brand new player and have them be overwhelmed with it and confused with it. Um, there are reasons why all those systems unlock at different levels is that there's, there's so much to teach you. It's so easy for us to forget as veteran players how complex the game is. Um, when you put it in the hands of someone brand new and they're still trying to figure out up and down in space sometimes. It's, it's two games. It's, it's two games. It just is. And so there's a lot to learn. And so we, we really hold off on adding new systems. And so you, you're well comfortable with how to play your character. And then, okay, here, try, try duty officers. Now try crafting. Now try reputations. Whenever we do let reputations be... Uh, available earlier. It pro- it won't be available at level one, that's for sure. I don't know what level it would be, but it would be it would have to be a cleaner system before we would do that. Is it possible to have certain reputations unlock as you approach certain story content? Yeah, that's kind of what we're going toward now. If you if you play the Romulan arc, you get a Romulan TFO. I think the first TFO you get is Starbase One, and then you get the Romulan. Uh, is it Romulan Minefield? Is it the revamp of Romulan Minefield? It might be Romulan Minefield. I would have to look at the journal. I can't recall off the top of my head. And so you get, you would get different TFOs as you as you level up through the story content, and then at some point it would all unlock. It's not designed entirely, but that's yes, you're you're basically right. That's how we would want to do it. I mean, you know, I, actually, I'd rather flip the question on you, Al, and say, what is it that you know you work in the in the game industry, so you have to have your ear to the ground, so to speak, as to what other games and what other developers are doing. You know, Star Trek Online is now in in its ninth year. Is there anything from another game or from Neverwinter that you want to bring into Star Trek Online somehow? Is there anything I want to bring in? Um, you know, we're we're dipping our toes into into how we want to do events, and I think we've been having some very measurable success with having new events. But I think I want to do more than just TFOs as events and uh, mix those up on different kinds of events. What those might be, we have some ideas and some things that are planned on what those are. I I just really want to streamline a lot of what what's in the game. I want to simplify things because I think they have become too bloated and individually they're big and then together they're overwhelming. And so I think we want to make them all simpler and more accessible. I I hesitate to change the game too much, right? There's a risk when you change a game too much. And so when we introduce something, we, we measure the response, what people are paying and what people are playing and whether it's new people, how new people responding to it versus veteran players. And we just generally keep giving you more of those things that people respond to. And if they don't respond to us, oh, that, that wasn't so good, you know? I mean, for instance, I think that we did a really poor job with messaging when we did Perils over Pavo. I, I think people were, were mad that we released what they saw as just a reskin. And, and to be honest, it wasn't really reskin. We actually rebuilt that entire TFO. And it's and if you had if, if you compared it to the old one, which no longer exists, it's, it's way better. But yes, it's the same gameplay. It's just much cleaner. The messaging throughout the entire TFO is better. But what we were really just trying to do is like, hey, we've got some old content in the game that's good, but really could use a revamp. And so 
we just wanted to revamp an old piece of content and just put a new spit polish on it. And like, I totally wanted, there's some old TFOs, like a lot of old Borg stuff. I just want to redo them because they're really great ideas, but they were executed poorly or maybe a little buggy and messaging's bad. There's some really good, you know, and we're seeing that more since we have random TFOs. Now people are randomly appearing into a TFO and says, what the hell is this thing? I don't remember this. And or, or we're looking at it says, wow, I don't remember how bad this was. So when we redid Dra- uh, Drain Your Gauntlet and turn it into Perils Over Pavo, it wasn't meant to be like, oh, we're just being cheap and lazy. It was like, no, we want to make old content better. And so we still want to do more of that. So I want to take some of these older stuff and start adding VO to it, maybe some cutscenes and some and just cleaner messaging and cleaner and cleaner gameplay and better art. So we want to just keep making the game just modernized as well. And I want to continue to bring really good story content to the game. I ask you what you wanted, what you like, because it doesn't matter what I want. We're trying to always try to understand what the players want. Once the game is live, it's got no, it's not what we want anymore. It's what the players want out of it. And um, you know, if there was something that we thought that we were missing or something you'd like to see. I know there are all kinds of things we want to do better, like, oh, make you be able to salvage the reputation gear, right? <laughs> That's, <laughs> I know I, I've, uh, I've heard that. I've heard that from someone before. And, uh, <laughs> my Delta. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just work. It's just work. It's just time to do. And it's just, and so there's always something, there's always something else to do because you have to balance the, uh, um, bringing in something new and making something old better. You know what I think of? I think of, you know, you know, my experience as a player now is much more casual than it was, you know, seven years ago. But I remember fe- now, now. Don't get me wrong, because these the, the animation and cutscenes and the and the, the overall story for these last two missions was was remarkable. But I remember it was the Vodwar arc, right, for Voyager, and I remember rappelling down the side of a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss. I, I I have to say, I miss that kind of mechanic. I miss that kind of experience that, that, that one particularly or something new in general something new like that something that that yeah. involves my player right something that involves my avatar to be a part of the action in that way shape or form uh, for me it's the exterior of deep space nine when you're when you're traveling mm-hmm. across it in the spacesuit that's that's that similar moment for me we have a couple of those you you've mentioned two of them right there so you've got the repelling um, there's a couple different types of repelling. There's like repelling down. There's like there's also like repelling across. There is the spacewalk. There is also a, a low G walk, which is different than the spacewalk. The spacewalk is like mag boot, so you actually actually walk. Well, the low G walk is like on the mining colonies, so you kind of hop. And then there's jetpacking. That's on in the Delta Rising, for instance, when you do the flying over the sun jetpack. None of those allow combat um, because. It's you would have to re reanim- we have to reanimate every other animation in the game so you're locked out of combat when doing that so we can't have low G combat without a huge expense so we do we th- we do those things every so often and I like them I like them a lot they are ex- they are expensive to do and every so often the the repelling breaks <laughs> we were going to do the repelling in. Um, I forgot which episode, but one of the Delta Risings, we were going to bring it back again and just realized, oh, it's just really broken. It's really hard to use. So they're challenging to do. I think that we've, um, I don't think we've we've stopped doing stuff like that. I think maybe we've stopped doing less kitschy things, but we've spent more time developing really more complex gameplay. I think, you know, the last episode that we just did was technically very challenging. The mud pots, the the ambush sites, the the day two, day three, and the cutscenes that go along with it. Um, they may look simple, 
but then if they do, then I think we did a good job. They're very, very technically challenging to pull off. The the Tenebris Torquent episode, the one where you're being chased around by the monster in uh, in Victory's Life, that has the zero G flight in there, and then it has the jumping the jumping puzzles where the guy the monster is after you, and you have to avoid the monster and that was technically challenging. So I don't think that we've stopped doing things like that. I think that we're always trying to do something. But every time, or, you know, um, Neth Parr's episode and a Magnificent Frankie episode. So I don't think it's fair to say that we don't do technologically challenging or distinct types of gameplay. We pretty much keep doing that. So I'll call you on that a little bit. I don't know if we've done anything with it, and if I could say other than the tech, just generally how technically advanced we've been with uh, with Delta Rising. But the reason you've seen both of those, the ones in particular, happen during expansion times because you they take a long time to develop. So developing one of those for a season is high risk. We take about six weeks to do an episode. We have 12 weeks to do a season, typically, and two six-week sprints. And so you have, in that time, you're going to do some TFOs, you can do an episode, you've got some writing to do, and so everyone's got their task. If we want to do something technologically challenging, um, which I would probably say the last one would have been um, the Pavo TFO, where you got to clear the agonizers, place the thumpers, little crystal thumpers to cleanse the crystal, and the crystal charges up from red to blue, and then it makes the path to go to the next one. That one was very technologically challenging. If you screw it up... You don't make your launch, and so you have to evaluate the risk early. And something like that Pavo FTFO, which might have taken six, should have taken six weeks, what we planned for, took us almost nine to get done. Um, and that's really risky, and that's when you get bugs, and that's when or things can be late. And you can take more risks during an expansion because we separate the teams. So you're working on expansion, you're working on releasing content, or we pile up content early so we can release it, and then there's a little bit of a gap before the expansion comes out. Can't do it all the time. You can do it every couple of years. Um, and then you can you have more time because you have six months before your content's going out instead of three months when it's going out. So there's more time for error. And it takes code, too. A lot of the times take code. So... Um, I hope to always try to introduce some sort of interesting, different kind of mechanic and gameplay in what we do, whether it's in an episode or a TFO, but you're not always going to get it. But I do hope to always give you interesting stories to come back to that are much more are much more compelling, and I, and I think we've been succeeding at that. But I hear you. We can. I'd like to do more of those things. We're always we're always looking for for more of those. I think hopefully some of the stuff that we're coming out next year's story arc, and it's more than just a story arc. I think it's going to significant. It's going to change the face of the game. Um, uh, Whoa, that's, and, uh, that's a that's a that's a big statement. Now, are we jumping a thousand years in the future in Star Trek Online? Um, I'm not. I'm not going to play a hundred questions with you <laughs> on what is going to change, but we are changing something significant in the game as a result of the arc that we are telling and how it will. I mean, it's um, it's not like hey, we're on Nintendo now, kind of changing the game, kind of thing, or but uh, or now you have uh, you know you know bridge commander gameplay, but you've got it's there's a, a notable notice a, a significant change. Do the game, and I think we're hoping to make a a group of players who have been unhappy happy. So all right, all right. So I, we won't. Okay, no, no hundred questions. But are we talking like Star Wars Galaxy revamp change, or are we talking? No, that'll sink a game. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shots fired! Shots fired! <laughs> no, I'm not talking about. I am not talking about revamping 
the way the game plays. I'm just, the, you know, as far as like, oh, now it's, you know, you no longer can fly a starship. You have to be an ensign pushing isolinear chips in the engine room from now on. I'm not talking about that kind of fundamental change in the game, but just, um, not just things will change. Things will things will things will change will, will evolve for the better. So before we jump in to your visit at the CBS Global Partner Summit, I, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us a little bit of you know what we can expect for the rest of the year. You know, we'll see you at Vegas, I presume. Cryptic will be at Vegas. Yes, we'll have panels. Right now, all I know is that we'll have panels. I don't know what they'll be. Uh, a lot of things have. CBS is taking a much more active role in STLV in general. Last year, in the last two years, they've been getting more and more active. You know, specifically because Discovery is there. So, so they actually are taking more control of the panels and our guests that are going to be on the panels and that sort of thing. So we're working that out with CBS now. Any potential announcements? Um, you know, we can be. Teased. We will definitely have some. I mean, we're always working on something, so we will announce something at uh, at STLV. So for sure. All right, so let's talk about that uh, CBS Global Partner Summit. What uh, what can you tell us about that experience? First of all, what was the CBS Global Partner Summit? So the CBS Global Partner Summit was it was broken up into two parts. There's, there was a there was a a presentation. It was at this theater at this one center. I can't remember what it was what it was called, Pacific Center or something. As you know, John Van Sitters is basically in charge of all third-party licensing. And his boss is Veronica Hart. And so she's a, a vice president of marketing. And they, are, they brought together... This has been kind of like kind of happening for the last couple of years, but this is more of an official capacity. It was invitation only. It wasn't like open to who, who wanted to go there. It was all the partners they have received that has to do with Star Trek. So Eagle Moss and, you know, like the... The Trixel games and and you know we were there and um, a bunch of people I never heard of and other you know people who make T-shirts and uniforms like Anovos was there. So all the partners that have something to to games, you know, media, toys, all of those people, all those people were there and they brought them together to talk about partnership opportunities, talk about and what what CBS is doing on their side. So they talked about Discovery, talk about the different shows, talk about the, the animated shows, the, the Picard show, Discovery season, Section 31 shows, and, and when they're planning, the, you, know, hope, you know, hoping and planning to roll those out and how what it means for everybody else. And so first there's a mingle, and then we had a presentation, and, and then we, shot, we saw some, then there was a lot, of, the actors were there, so Sonequa Martin-Green was on stage with Doug Jones, and then, and then, uh, um, yeah, Jonathan Frakes was there to talk about the Picard show, and then the two creators of the new animated show for Nickelodeon was there. They talked about the the, the pilot for that, and then the, the 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 Rick and Morty guy for the Rick and Morty animation. He presented his stuff, and so we saw some behind the scenes stuff, some early stuff of what they're doing and what that meant, what that what could we do with that. And then we went to the Paley Center, and then at the Paley Center, um, which is open to the public still, that's where they had a whole bunch of props from from Discovery. They had some head sculpts, like Linus's head was there, and the Tellarite head was there. Uh, um, Mary Chifo's makeup was there, and her dress, and lots of uniforms and guns and stuff. Some stuff you may have seen from from Star Trek Las Vegas, a lot of new stuff. Um, and they also had VR helmets, so you could put them on with the exhibits, and you could see a set. Um, like there was the set of inside of Saru's sister's house. You could go look around inside there, but next to a 
full-size sculpt of Saru uh, wearing his uniform. Um, so there was all that, and then there was food, and then all the actors there. So Mary Chifo was there, and Sonequa Martin-Green was there, Doug Jones, Jonathan Frakes, um, uh, um, Alex Kurtzman was there, uh, um, Wilson Cruz was there. And so, and like a convention, it was much more intimate, and everyone was professional, so they, it was very, so I got the chance to talk to all of them, and um, that was very exciting. There, that group is every bit as warm and as genuine and friendly as they appear to be. And um, I had met some of them before at STLV, and some of them I hadn't, and they all had heard of Star Trek Online, and, you know, Doug Jones and Sonequa Martin-Green gave me hugs, and it was like, well, this is crazy, I'm getting hugs from Doug Jones and Sonequa Martin-Green, and, and uh, it was great, it was wonderful, and it was a great opportunity to talk with them, talk about what we do, and, and, we, uh, and then on the business side, being able to meet with some people to do some uh, you know, potential partnerships that we have talked about, things that I, I most things I can't share, and or pretty much all things I can't share. So it was just an opportunity really for all the partners to meet and, and talk and, and make connections and make contacts and see how we can uh, all support each other. They still keep bugging Anovos to make our to make our Star Trek Online uniforms. They always give me the same answers. It's like if they get enough requests that they'll build them. So for all your fans out there, if you want a Star Trek Online uniform from Anovos, just write Anovos and tell them you want a Star Trek Online uniform. And uh, if they get enough requests, they'll start they'll start making them. Now, you know, being being there with the partners and of course with, you know, the head of uh, both heads of CBS marketing and, and licensing, what do you think might change or what was your takeaway from from that experience? You're saying over the last couple of years, you know, they've been trying to do these more frequently and, and maybe perhaps a little more informally, but now that, you know, now that there was this summit of people holding Star Trek licenses, you know, what what can you say about the direction that marketing, CBS marketing might be taking with their IP? Are they being a little more protective of it? Or is it something now like, you know, what Kenna was talking about uh, or what she kind of hopes for where, you know, they're just going to throw out licenses and see what sticks? No, I mean, this wasn't a, I don't, I, I don't think this was a meeting to like open the floodgates to new licensees to come in. These are all their existing partners. This, is, this was about building relationships where CBS you know, works with each one of these individually in, in a, uh, you know, in a top-down system. This was an attempt to make it more of a matrix system so that we, all the partners themselves can work with, can, can meet and make contacts and, and have communication. This, this, was, this summit was about communication. This was about CBS telling us what their plans are for the next couple of years, how we can leverage it, and to give everyone the opportunity to have at it to work with each other. You know, for instance, you know, I, I met with the makers of Rick and Morty to say, hey, what if we had Rick and Morty uh, char- uh, Star Trek characters in Star Trek Online? And I had, uh, had those opportunities to, you know, they knew who we were and, and I knew who they were and says, oh, yeah, that's that's great. And what could we do? And, you know, I'm sorry, this is what we're doing. Can you elaborate a, a little bit? Are you talking about like having like a Zorp-a-Zorp planet or something? Like what, no, what, no, no. What? I mean, the, the creators of Rick and Morty are making one of the, you know, a, an adult comedy-themed animated show, right? For Star, for Star Trek, Trek, right? Got it. Yeah, okay, for Star okay. Trek, right? I'm not going to put not putting Rick and Morty and Gazorp Gazorps in Star Trek Online. Thank God. Just making sure. Shut up, Anthony. I would have loved that to be a TFO. (laughs) That is an MMO I'd love to... I'd love to work on a Rick and Morty MMO where you are either Rick or Morty from one of the multiverses. Everybody's a Rick or Morty. That would be amazing. No, just for their new show, learning about what they're doing, um, 
I think their tone is going to be very different than, than what you've seen in Star Trek, Force Awakens, Star Trek Online. And I wouldn't want to bring a Rick and Morty tone to uh, Star Trek Online. But if you take Rick and Morty itself and break it down into the fiction, the universe, the characters, the aliens, you could translate that into a serious kind of, you know, piece. Uh, you could take a piece of that. And what are those uh, mantis or cricket-looking people they have running around Rick and Morty? There's no reason we couldn't make a modernized, realist, you know, realistic version of that and have the count the uh, the what's that? The Confederacy? I don't remember the what you call them on Rick and Morty. The Council of Ricks. No, the Council of Ricks. The 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 bug people that that Rick and Morty's always fighting with. The the, oh, the Federation um, or whatever yeah. they're fighting that they're always fighting. So I don't know what we could do, but you know, having an opportunity to say, hey, you've got these characters. What if you know? What if they voice their characters in our game? But you know, it'd be serious. Maybe they'd be a little uh, a little light. But I wouldn't have uh, f bombs and fart jokes in Star Trek Online. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we're pretty close with, uh, what was the end of that, uh, the Captain Killy mission? Yeah. Where she, she calls everybody an ass. It was, we were going to, we were going to drop an F-bomb, but we really backed to So, um, there's a way to use cursing that is natural and there's a way to use it that is just, that is just, you know, trying to be shock value vile, like what Rick and Morty does. So, um. I don't want to terrify everyone that we're turning Star Trek Online into. And that's my big announcement, how everything's going to change. <laughs> we're going into the multiverse of Rick and Morty next year, and we're changing everything. Um, no, that's, that's not what we're doing. But I mean, they, you know, they have stories and characters, and how is there an opportunity for us to tie those in? Is, what are the opportunities to tie into the Picard show? What are the opportunities to tie into the Section 31 or the Nickelodeon animated show? I don't even know if they would consider the Rick and Morty show technically canon. That's going to be an interesting question question that, that if, if it's going to be I wouldn't doubt if the Nickelodeon one would be considered canon it's uh, um, even though it's directed more towards kids but it's kids of all ages like um, so um, I presume so um, I don't think it's not going to be adult themed since it's on Nickelodeon um, but that was the whole point of the summit is to just talk to to for, for us to all make connections and and open the communications about what they're, what they're doing and what we're doing and how can we all help each other it seems to me as a fan, and I think to a lot of other fans, that CBS in general is taking a more serious approach to the value of Star Trek as a franchise. And do you see that from the inside as well, like with this kind of a summit? Well, they're killing it. I totally, they're totally nailing it. And I think what they're what what I think it's important to them is that there's there's a consistency there. You know, in the past, before Discovery came along, there were all these things that were that, that existed in Star Trek. There was TOS and then there was the movies and then there's TNG and, and and everything had its own style and and you had crazy things like Spock helmets. They even showed the Spock helmet in the uh, in the presentation as an example of this is not what we want Star Trek to be. We want everything to be cohesive all under you know uh, uh, one brand. We want to have we want to have brand messaging across everything that we do. You'll you'll probably notice if you buy Star Trek stuff now the packaging is all the same across all the vendors. They use all the same kind of packaging and messaging and fonts and everything. So it's about brand awareness and keeping everything on message and making sure all the partners are, are, are supporting what, you know, the, everything under the umbrella that Alex Kurtzman's and the vision holders are trying to, trying to put out there. It's not like here, have a bunch of vendors do a bunch of crazy shit and see what's, what sticks. It's completely the opposite. It's like, this is, this is the vision that we want to have. Everyone get in line and let's all make sure that we're doing, we're doing the same thing together. So we're, so we're presented as one cohesive 
product, one cohesive brand, and work with each other. That's why we have that's why we have things like the Enterprise F by Eagle Moss, right? We're having Eagle Moss often gets ship models before us, 3D models, and they share us the models. Like the other Discovery ships, we got a lot of that from from Eagle Moss because they have the models from CBS and they've already processed them. So they send us the models so that we can bring them into Star Trek Online. Those are the kind of things that those kind of partnerships that some of it is behind the scenes that players will never see or may never even care about, but it allows us to do our job more efficiently. This fact that we have Ju'ula in, in there, we started in an IDW comic. How many other ways can, can we tie in IADW comics and pocketbook stories together with Star Trek Online stories? And that we're all working with CBS and Alex Kurtzman and Kirsten Byer to make sure that all these stories are cohesive and not everyone is just doing a different story that's invalidating each other's stories. Well, Al, I want to thank you so very much for stopping by and chatting with us this evening. Is there anything we didn't get a chance to talk about that you'd like to use these last few minutes? No, I, I, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about, about the Global Summit meeting. I'm, I wanted to congratulate you. I wanted to find out how you actually got in contact with Mary Chifo. It had a long interview, only about halfway through it, but it's been a fun interview. She's super wonderful lady. I've had a chance now to meet her twice. Uh, um, so that's great. And Thank you. Yeah, like I mentioned, we signed a new actor, and so I can't wait to talk about what that's about. And you know, we will continue the, the cadence that we have of uh, releasing a season and try to get an actor with every one of those seasons as much as possible. We've got big plans for the next anniversary. is our 10th anniversary, so watch for something big for the 10th anniversary. We've got some crazy shit planned. We'll see if it will come through. Well, Al, thank you so very much. I am looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks at Star Trek Las Vegas, and we look forward to what's coming down the pike with Star Trek Online. There's no shortage of stuff coming down the pike, so hold on to your butts. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 413's community question was, What items from Star Trek Online's new Section 31 lockbox are you most excited by? From Twitter, Mark A. Taylor wrote in, Having gotten most of the box at this point, I can say that the thing that has me most excited and is an ongoing subject in my fleet is the weaponized dark matter module. It makes a great fire and forget button for dealing with lieutenants and commanders. We did not have a second community question this week, but we did have some great fun brainstorming some very wrong names for the new Star Trek Picard show. Here are just a few hilarious examples. From Facebook, Anthony Shane McEwen wrote in, Star Trek, their old generation. <laughs> also from Facebook, Richard Bankert wrote, Star Trek, shut up, Wesley. Read by Sean Connery. <laughs> but shut up, Wesley. From Twitter, Angel Beat says, honey, I blew up the home world. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That's a good one. I really like that one. <laughs> also from Twitter, Eric Hines writes, Worf and Picard go to White Castle. Michael Price wrote, Star Trek, Locutus. Oh, that would actually be really cool. I, 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 would wa I would watch a mini-series. I would not watch an ongoing series, but I would watch a mini-series talking about Picard and Locutus and all of that business, because that would be quite interesting. And finally from Twitter, BWLeon79 wrote, Star Trek Picard, Dude, where's my starship? I can't help but feel that some of these people got some inspiration from Blunt Talk. I didn't see that. I should watch Blunt Talk. 
I've heard it was very good. Well, Captains, that wraps up episode 414 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, The Trek Files, and Kenna's new daily Star Trek news, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a community question for this week. What do you think of the Star Trek Picard news, including the title and the new uniforms? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, just visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our very special guest, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the production of our weekly show. To our community manager, Shane Hoover. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage.
Transfer complete. Now, we didn't actually have a second community question this week, but we did have some great... But we kind of did. We kind of did. I was looking for people to tell me what I could do for my for my Baran to make it stop doing the Tokyo Drift. And nobody wrote in to suggest anything. I'm sad. I'm sorry, Elijah. Okay. Should we just uh, should we just make it a permanent community question until you get an answer? Yeah, <laughs> we can yeah. do that. We're on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> It's really exciting to really build up to it. Uh, and yeah. Instagram. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 the cat thinks the cat thinks they can do better than me? Fine. Fine. Fine, Simba. She's meowing at the door. What the heck? I have to let her out. You carry on. You're doing really, really well, Anthony. The tweet, an animated gif. That's right, I said it. Gif. No. No, man. No, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. That's probably at least three weeks of work for a character artist to sculpt a likeness. Minimal three weeks work, sometimes more. I know, I'm still waiting for mine. Yours is special. We're having a real hard time with it. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind, never mind. A stupid question for the scratch it. Yeah. Don't yam me. That was a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just agreeing with you. No, <laughs> no I mean. Th- I'm oh. going to guess and venture to guess that you got Kenneth Mitchell on to play yet another Klingon. We could play all the Klingons, right? That will eventually be killed. <laughs> we only need two actors from now on. We just need Kenneth Mitchell and Jeffrey Combs. And we're not going to hire <laughs> anyone else anymore. That's it. We're done. We got them all. <laughs> I just call it Game of Combs, right? <laughs> podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network